To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Hey everyone, here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself. This is Robinhood, the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder. Their goal, investing in financial markets more affordable, more intuitive, and more fun, no matter how much experience you have or don't have. Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the waitlist and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate and when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between $3 and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See Robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to PositiveSarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. Put yourself together, and then maybe if you put yourself together, you know how to do that. You know what's wrong with you, if you'll admit it. You know there's a few things you could, like, polish up a little bit that you might even be able to manage in your insufficient present condition. And so you might shine yourself up a little bit, and then your eyes will be a little more open, and then you can shine yourself up a little bit more, and then maybe you could bring your family together instead of having them be the hateful, spiteful, neurotic, infighting batch that you're like doomed to spend Christmas with. Sarcasm.com recorded here from Spare Parts Studio. Happy Wednesday, everybody. You can find me on the social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So go ahead and look it up. Positive Sarcasm, at Positive Sarcasm, Facebook.com slash Positive Sarcasm. Believe me, you can Google me. You can Google the Spare Parts Studio. Trust me, you should be able to find me in any way, shape, or form. You can also hit me up on my website, PositiveSarcasm.com. You can like, subscribe, share, check out my posing music, my movie reviews. I got a couple new ones. Oh, my God, new ones. You can uh, hit me up directly. Email me, PositiveSarcasm at Outlook.com for questions, concerns, and comments. And, of course, hit up my YouTube channels, Positive Sarcasm and Positive Sarcasm Podcast. I actually just took um, – I was cleaning up the studio, and I decided to put my uh, my drone on display, uh, Pelican 2, the uh, now semi-retired Pelican 2. It's all nice and shiny and clean. It's got a lens filter on it and everything like that. But it's just sitting here. I was looking to my left, and I just noticed it, and it was like, what a great bird. Uh, really put in some service, had some hard times, went against some hard winds, got stuck on the surface of the ice one time when it landed there for too long, and it and it almost it almost fell over because it was still stuck to the ice. But what a great piece of gear. Um, love it. Uh, I hope to use it again for some reason or another. But and and anyways, you can find me on all social media. You can hit me up directly and stuff like that. I do have a piece of sad news, kind of really sad the state that we're in. Um, a legendary, very legendary uh, comedy club has closed. And you know, what's one thing is, um, I know that the, obviously the elephant in the room as far as culturally is the ideal, ideal idea to be able to speak freely on a platform as long as you're not inciting violence. And incitement of violence is against the Constitution, but for speaking freely is in the Constitution. And the fact that Comedy is a is the purest form and probably the last form of free speech, and the idea that uh, it started in these little these little tiny shitty dark clubs. That's where comedy really grows in its roots. Is where comics, new comics, uh, up and coming comics, premiering comics, huge comics that are working out material. They go there. They have an idea in their head. They start to work through it at these small comedy clubs at late at night. With, you know, it could be five to 15 people. doesn't matter in, in the crowd. It doesn't matter to the comic, really. They all have their preferences on what type of stuff they're working out. They each have their own clubs. And they go to these little spots to try to work these ideas and find the good points and the bad points, abandon some topics, work on others. Next thing you know, you may see, it, you may see a finished product 
whether it be while on tour or on HBO or Comedy Central or on Netflix, whatever. But it all starts in these spots because the public forums right now are dying because you can't, speaking freely in public is hard to do because you have uh, restrictions, you have COVID restrictions, and you have uh, restaurants that are closed and cafes where you can't do things anymore are closed or closing, or there's a limit on how many people can be in there. It's just like the idea to be out there and have a permit to say something like public forums, like there are people like they would go and they'd get a permit, they'd stand outside with a bunch of other people and they'd preach to the crowd. Well, that has harder restrictions to do. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you have something, whether you, you have something to say is stupid or not. That's you still have the right to say it. As long as you go through the motions, you can go out and speak freely. The last, and then the last two spots where you could freely say whatever you wanted. One is podcasts, and two is comedy clubs, because you can't say shit on, you can't say certain things or point to certain things on social media or on YouTube anymore, because certain stuff will get you uh, shadow banned, warned, suspended banned, blocked, reported, uh, and, and also sometimes reported to your employer if you have one. But either way, it's still a risk you're willing to take. Well, comedy is like the last bastion of free speech in that part, but since the since the coronavirus pandemic and the original shutdown, well, some places have, re have refused to basically turn back on. Like, for example, New York and Los Angeles. And stupidly so... For many reasons, I I can I mean the argument can be made, but in that comedy clubs have been forced to close, whereas restaurants, some restaurants in some way, shape, or form have been able to reopen. But they left comedy clubs, I think in some ways purposely off that list where they can't open. And it's sad to see some of these places suffering so much. Like for example, the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, uh, the Comedy Cellar in New York. Caroline's on Broadway and it really it hurts so much because they rely on the door they rely on the big names they rely on the drink uh, the two drink minimum they rely on all this stuff that's not coming through and now you're starting to see the reports that some of these places they're going to reopen oh they, no they're not going to reopen at all it's like oh we're going to reopen soon in a new location and now it's like boom gone just gone and to see like da Dangerfield's uh, Rodney Dangerfield owned club I um, introduced acts like Andrew Dice Clay. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld was there. And it was still open to this day. It was a dingy little club on the other side of town in New York City. And it hasn't changed. Since the beginning it was open to the, till just recently, it hadn't changed a bit. It was just a shitty little room where true comics could go and work out that material. But apparently it's closed. And it has to be recognized as much as the death of Eddie Van Halen. Because of the fact this is a, this was an important spot for comics to work out their material in peace, so that they could go and work and have like a special, or have a you know, uh, um, you know they could work out their material so that they could fine tune it for a bigger moment. You know all these things that you see on any comic, any comic that understands that comedy comes first, they work out their material first. They work it out at open mics. They work it out in five-minute sets, 10-minute sets, 15-minute sets at very small clubs in small rooms, okay? And it takes a long time to replace words here and there and a lot of, a lot of heckling, a lot of dead silence, uh, a lot of pregnant pauses, a lot of hesitation, a lot of bombing. And it happens at these clubs. It happens at, uh, not at Caroline's, but it happens at, you know, the Comedy Cellar, the Gotham Comedy Club, the black, uh, Fat Black Pussycat, the um, Comedy Underground, the fucking, what's the one I went to? The Greenwich Village Comedy Club, the Comedy Store, the belly room of the Comedy Store, you know, the, the, the original room. And then finally, Dangerfields. And because they refuse to open up comedy clubs in a lot of places in New York City, this place has closed. Uh, this is according to page six. Legendary comedy, uh, New York comedy club, Dangerfields, has closed. Uh, Caddyshack uh, star Rodney Dangerfield opened the Upper East Side Comedy Club in 1969. And everyone from Jerry Seinfeld to Jim Carrey to Bill Hicks, many more stand-up superstars have performed. In a post on its website, the club's management announced with great sadness that after 50 years of continuous operations, we will be closing our New York City venue effective immediately. 
It added, the state of New York and New York City continuing COVID-19 lockdown, the banning of, the banning of public venues, no official guidance as to when or if such public gatherings will be allowed or in what capacity has placed a severe financial burden on Dangerfield, Dangerfield's making operations in New York City untenable. Ah, Jesus Christ. And you know what's funny is the last time that movie, this actually was ju recently just the movie. Like, if you want to know what Dangerfields looks like, check out the movie The Joker. The movie The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, that scene where he's in a comedy club, that was shot at Dangerfields. It's a historic spot because it was, it was basically, it was, it was an historic spot. But I'm trying to, to, to point to the spot, the, uh, the concept I was trying to get to was there's, you can't be out. Public gatherings are dead in these big cities where a lot of these comedy clubs are. And I'm pointing specifically to Los Angeles and New York. And you can connect the dots in your own time using your own thought patterns. But the fact is, is that they, in these two particular cities, Sanford, uh, sp specifically Los Angeles and New York City, comedy clubs are locked down. Excuse me. Comedy clubs are locked down. Public, uh, public gatherings are shut off. So there's no there's no essential free speech being given to the public. None whatsoever. You are not allowed to say your piece in in these cities. That's what comedy is. Comedy is is uh, in a lot of ways if it's not funny it's at least getting something off your chest, getting an idea off your chest and seeing how the crowd reacts to it. That's what it is. So there's no way. So now that these comedy clubs are done, if not completely done, and you can't public gather, because I put free speech and comedy, it's the same thing. It's just on different wavelengths. And one is, one is, if it's, one is a form of art. Comedy is a form of art. Carlin said it's a crude form of art, but it, he did said it's a form of art. It's an art. It's creative it's a creative concept, and in order to think, as Jordan Peterson said, in order to think freely, you have to risk being offensive. In order to speak freely, you have to risk being offensive. That's the only way shit gets created. It's the only way shit gets done. And the fact that these places can't open, now these, now these, these ideas can't get out. So they just stew in your head, and the garbage piles up in your head. So these, what do these comics do? What are these people who... Uh, not just the comics who don't have a stage to bark at out of, but these people who do public venues, just who I don't know whether I don't know what they're gonna what they fucking talk about the 1776 project or some shit. I don't know, but they don't have those public gathering abilities anymore, so those are shut off. So where do they go to? Do they they go to YouTube or they go to well some of them go to podcasting. A lot of these comics go to podcasting, and they have to. There's a good thing about that because. On podcasting, it's still, if you can create the site, create the feed, and get it out yourself, then you can continue to get the word out, your ideas out. But it's not comedy. It's mutated. It's not, it's, it's not the same. You're not getting that true reaction because it, your, people's attention when they're either listening uh, to a podcast or a comedy thing or they're watching it, it's not the same. You're not getting the vast amount of their attention. If they're in a comedy club, they got drinks in front of them, if their phones are away, they're paying attention. They're paying attention to you. They're in the moment, they're feeling the uh, presence of people around them, there's a different vibe. They're paying attention to what you have to say. Usually it's just you talking shit and trying to make people laugh, but there's also other things in there you're like, huh, and it makes you think a different way. Or if not nothing else, it just makes you see things from a different angle. It makes you able to laugh at yourself because we don't we take we take ourselves way too fucking seriously. What makes us so fucking special in the whole world? I know I've got this place and I talk it up a bunch and it's like I did this and I know how to fly this drone and I know how to make this podcast and upload it and edit it and make the video and sync it together and make really good coffee and this whole spare part studio and it's like yeah I know I get it I can do it myself whoopty fucking do whoopty fucking do nobody I mean I'm a I'm a we don't you have to go outside, look up in the night sky, and be able to see those stars and realize how insignificant we all are. 
We all are. Insignificant to the point, if you realize that, how humbling that it is, and maybe you won't take yourself so fucking seriously, but maybe you'll take the meaning of life and your ability to do more with your life and the ability to accept other people's concepts and ideas and humor and viewpoints a little more seriously. And take yourself a little less seriously. Take who you are less seriously. Take what you can do and what you can offer more seriously, okay? Pull back on one, move towards the other. Because everybody thinks that their fucking shit is so great. Who they, well, not their shit, they are. Everything they do matters. I'm a this, I'm a that. No, comedy is that form that tell that can tell you, look, you don't mean shit. Your religion, your identity, it fucking doesn't matter. All you gotta do is look up. All you gotta do is look up. You look up and you see, in, it's whether you're looking at the stage or you're looking up at the stars, you realize how insignificant you are. Whether you're staring up at a, the North Star or you're staring at the comic at the stage, they both can humble you. The North Star can humble you by telling you that you are a speck of dust in this giant fucking universe. Or you can look up in the stage after blurting something out and get wrecked by a comic who's properly seasoned after you heckle them and watch them bury you in front of an audience of 50 people as they all laugh at you. Because they know you freaking deserved to be shut up because of that stupid comment that you made. So it's humbling. And we're not we're not having that. This COVID thing is not it was humbling in the beginning, and then it became idiotic. And now it's just plain fucking stupid. It just goes to show how properly we don't take care of ourselves or how seriously we don't take certain things and other shit that we take way too seriously. And how we've skewed it to make it attack each other. When at the end of the day, all we want to do is fucking water our lawns and get on with our lives. That's all we wanted to do. And these comedy clubs, they mean, they do, they mean so much to me. They do. They should mean more to you. If not to go there to laugh, uh, believe me, if you, don't, if you go to a comedy club and you don't laugh and the comic sees that, the comic may, may if comedy clubs ever do come back, may point that out. And believe me, I get it. Uh, Texas is open. You know, Texas comedy club, uh, Indiana comedy clubs, Florida comedy clubs, New Jersey, I think New Jersey comedy clubs. There are, uh, there are clubs and there are drive-ins. There are places that are opening for comedy, okay? So while other places are just trying to control everything, like New York and Los Angeles, there are other places that are shining bright. And eventually will be a bastion of ideas and knowledge and concepts and creativity and humor and, you know, all that other stuff. But I take comedy clubs, so, I mean, it's amazing how walking down those stairs to the Greenwich Village Comedy Club, Greenwich Village Comedy Club maybe fits 15 or 20 people. Okay, maybe 30. It does not fit a lot of people. You're sitting right next to somebody else, two drink minimum, dingy little concrete floors, concrete walls. You're right there by the stage. You know, all the comics come out. Some of them are good, some of them are not. But, and they're outside, and these guys are working, these guys and girls are working hard. Like, they're promoting their social medias uh, when they get out. You know, if they'll bounce from club to club to club, but they'll go there, they'll do their, their 10, 15-minute set, and then they'll go outside and hang out, talk to some of, the, uh, talk to some of the, the, the people who came in that night, tell them, you know, and then go into, an, they'll, maybe they'll go to another club and do another set working on their material, and then maybe next week they're off to Buffalo or some friggin' place to go do an hour there because they got a, 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 a you know, a three-night three deal to work some comedy club or whatever. These people work fucking hard. That's their livelihood. You just shut off their livelihood. There's a lot of comics out there that are on unemployment. And, like, they're out of the game. They're done. Their dream is over. But there are ones that are hanging in, in there. There are ones that are hanging Like fucking Brian Callen there. I saw Brian Callen at... Uh, the night before, I saw Rogan in uh, the Wilbur Theater. I saw Callen at Laugh Boston, which is like a 300... Not even 300. It's like 150. It's a, it's a, and it was like a cool club, 
a really nice club. And I saw him there, and I wasn't too far from him. And see him work his material for his new special. And just really k- k- kill the fucking crowd. I mean, really do a great job. And for and then there was the alle- the bullshit allegations. But he was the one. He was one of those who survived. And now that clubs are opening in some capacity in Indiana and in Oklahoma and in Texas, he's able to do the routes. Him, Tim Dillon, they're surviving now. They're able to go do clubs and go do stuff, and they can make money, and they can continue their dreams. Because it's not—I'm not, not going to say it's not like they don't know how to do anything else. But there's not a there isn't not there isn't a lot of money. There's not money to go around for everybody in podcasting. Okay. There's no $100 million deal coming from coming for me. There's no $1 million deal coming for me. I'm just trying to create as much concept, contact, content excuse me, as I can to present to you so I can continue to have the ideas flow out of my head. But what, I mean, there's no comedy club coming for me or me going to one because I, let's face it, I'm scared shitless to get on stage. And in that capacity, to take something that you wrote in a notebook or you write down on your laptop and then you go out there and you present it to an audience at an open mic night where there's maybe three people there and most of them are other open mic comics, it's terrifying. It's a huge thing to get over. What did Seinfeld go? It said, uh, he said the number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. So that's a terrifying thing to go out there and take your words and put them out there into the stratosphere of actual people looking at you. And the fear of being ridiculed or judged or called something. And now we don't have that. The one pure thing is, is in some cities being taken away. And now we have a, a huge casualty of a tiny little club where a lot of comics got their start or were working out material. It's one less thing that is no longer here. It is a true death. It is a true death, and it may be it may be a, a back page story for a city that is close to death. I know there's the arguments of whether New York City is going to come back to life. I don't know. I have no fucking idea. When I was there, there was a lot of construction, high-priced real estate, a lot of people, a lot of culture like it always was. Uh, it was a city where you made a mistake. It would financially cost you dearly, tow the shit out of your car. And, and yeah, it was, it was New York. Granted, high-priced New York and a lot of high-priced shopping mall bullshit like Times Square. What is it now? I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't don't even want to know. But, you know, know, I kind of laughed at the Rick Moranis thing, but it's also a fucking terrible, it's a terrible story. And this is just plain heartbreaking. It's a place I'll, it's one more thing I'll never get to experience. That's really, I I don't know what's going to happen to the, I mean, Dangerfields is gone. I don't know what's going to happen to the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. A place like that during COVID-19 lockdown cannot exist. Everything is in close proximity to everything. Everything. It's just, I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. I'm saying New York is saying this can't happen. So those comedy clubs cannot exist in any capacity. And you don't know what type of audience you're getting. If they're going to be receptive to new ideas or ridicule or just talking shit. Like I watched, um, I watched, what do you call it? I watched, what do you call it? Uh, it was the roast of Rich Voss. Rich Voss is a long, like a 30-year comic. Um, and there was, it was a, 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 you know, the dais of Bobby Kelly and, um, Freaking Big J Okerson and Colin Quinn, just a, a dais of true hard hitting comics, no apologies. Gr- and, it, and it was a great hour and 30 minutes of comedy, like true, brutal, uh, just down, punching fucking down hilarity. Absolute hilarious. But it was in the comedy cellar. And the comedy cellar, the crowd is right up on you, right up on you. And you got. Six to eight comics, you know, Judy Gold, uh, Joe DeRosa, right up on your grill. You know, right against the wall, and the crowd is right there. And it was a community of people, and guess what? Because the crowd is right up on you, the comics, not only can the crowd go at the comics, the comics can go at the crowd. And it was a community of 
Well, shit-talking. It was a community of shit-talking. And God help you if you said something to a really good comic who was prepared for a, a, a moment like that. They'll tear you to pieces. So, what's going to happen to those places? The Greenwich Village Comedy Club. The, the, the freaking cellar. Gotham. Stand-up New York. Are they ever going to come back? They don't, they can't fucking, with those leases, with the prices, the monthly rent and all that stuff, they can't, they can't sit there forever. They can't hold on forever with no money coming in. And they still got to pay their rent. I mean, how do they survive? How, what do, what do they do? Where do they go? It's just, I, I don't, maybe something else will come in, will grow in its place. I don't know. But the idea that, Dangerfields is gone. I don't know, and I per, I don't know the finances of it, obviously, but I don't know if it was on its way out or what have you. But obviously, whatever. If it was sick, you know, New York City killed it. New York City can New York City can make dreams come true, but New York City in itself is a dream killer. You know, and if you're not all in, it will bury you. But. It's upsetting because, like, the idea of not being able to speak your mind, whether people are just passing by or coming to see you or coming to experience something in your in your range, and if you're not able to do that, and all that's left is the only true thing is podcasting. What I mean, what's it going to take for a digital COVID to start locking down us? Little guys like me and big guys like Rogan. What's it? What's when are they going to come for us? When are they going to start, you know, filtering what we do? And it's not, I'm not talking out of school. I'm not talking uh, ridiculous or far fetched or dystopian or unrealistic. This is a real thought because it's a real threat because it's on the doorstep. Okay. Because of a because of an unhealthy population, a pre a pre-existing our pre-existing condition is because well, look, here's the truth. This is the absolute truth. The reason COVID-19 I don't give a shit anymore. I really don't. The reason this virus hit us so hard is because we're unhealthy and we don't follow proper nutrition guidelines. One, because we're fat. Because we're a fat population who eats shit processed foods. We have low hormone levels or disproportionate hormone levels. We don't take care of ourselves properly with proper cardio, proper nutrition, and proper fucking uh, anaerobic exercises. We don't do that. That's number one. Number two, we're hiding indoors all fucking day. Okay. We're constantly taking prescription medications that we don't need from doctors and physicians and Nurses that we barely fucking under know, who don't give a shit about you, and that's and that's it. I mean, and obviously, since we're not getting sun, I mean, if we aren't taking vitamin D supplements, we're not out. We should be out in the sun, and it's everything. Every fucking tr- every truth is torn apart because it offends somebody, or it hasn't been vetted. By peer review, which is dog shit. Peer review is fucking stupid. Everything, and then everything has to go through, you know, double placebo, blind controlled study fucking tests, which take months. When all these little simple solutions would have really made this into nothing more but another flu season. I, I, you know what? And the answer is somewhere in the middle of what I just said. It was just an excuse, and now it's it's a it's a frontline assault of it's the frontline troops of an assault of something much bigger. I'm not optimistic. I'm optimistic that something will grow in its place. I'm not in, I'm but I'm not optimistic. Uh, uh, overall, I don't think we'll get. I I don't believe we will have a vaccine. I don't. I honestly, I don't believe so. I don't think we'll I don't think we'll get one. 
at least in a timely manner. I think it's all been backlogged. There's too many uh, things in the way, whether it's politically or culturally, financially, and uh, what have you. The Johnson & Johnson one was halted due to illness. Uh, the Pfizer one was halted due to whatever. Uh, the Moderna one, the Gilead Science one, I even though they have Rendesivir, which worked well. And, and most, you know, it, it had a pretty good percentage rate in lowering the effects of the illness. Um, but it was, it's, I don't, I'm not optimistic because I don't think that people, usually I say, look, when you are on the precipice of disaster, you make an adjustment to better yourself. Well, I've changed my tune a little bit. I think it's on the precipice, people change. But maybe they change for the better or they change for the worst. It is in a, it's in the nature of humanity to destroy itself. And there is, I mean, acting as one is a commonality in a community to do to be better for one another. But its individuality is the actual freedom that we we cherish so much. And the individuality of comedy free expression to be better for oneself is all is mainly in the interest of the community to speak your mind, to be healthier, to set an example for the community. You take care of yourself. You solve your own shit first and you go and you be that example out in the world. And as a community, it reflects and people like that guy's got his shit figured out. What can I do to better myself in that case? And there's a lot of people who get on stage, whether it be at Danger Fields or Gotham Comedy Club or, you know, a fucking comedy store in L.A. They're just, they've got a lot of problems. Social problems, social anxiety, uh, depression issues, a lot of other problems. But that's one of the reasons they become comics is because they're disturbed. They've got problems. They're not all, a lot of them are not like Seinfeld. They don't fucking, they didn't grow up in a middle-class neighborhood and, uh, you know, pull out something out of nothing. But Seinfeld's a genius. You know, he's an anomaly. But a lot of them are just, they got, they don't, they struggle. There's, there's the struggle. Like, this whole thing that I've created was built from many different factors. And one of them is struggle. It, the rebirth of it, is of uh, is one of struggle, the whole YouTube the original YouTube series of struggle. Building the studio, it took years of struggling of figuring out how I was going to put this all together. That's a struggle. Comics going up on stage, there's a they come from struggle. They got no money. They don't know where they're gonna. They don't know where their next door deal is gonna go. Uh, be, come from. They got to work a ton of clubs at night. They got to travel freaking fifty miles for a fucking you know. A twenty dollar uh, front door fee, or I don't know how that shit works. Now what? And they got no other skills, so where do they go? Well, some of them have gone to podcasting, but it's like I, I I'm not confident that we're going to to solve ourselves, not solve this pandemic, but solve ourselves. I think it's gonna get worse. I think by the time this all gets resolved, we will have properly designed. Civil War uniforms for each side. And those uniforms will be covered in blood by the time this is all over. I'm not confident that we're going to resolve this. I'm not, I'm not somebody who believes that, you know, the people who are supposedly working for us are acting in our faith. I think there's, I, I just don't buy it. I don't think we're in a healthy position. I don't think we can take back what used to be ours. And quite frankly, I'm just seeing beautiful little shitholes like danger fields. That's just one more thing that we can't have back. Something beautiful died yesterday. And I don't know if I I don't know if we will read the writing on the wall before it's too late. Quite frankly, I think it is too late. The vet, the thing he goes the the article goes on to say uh, 
The organization promised it would rebuild Iconic Comedy Club and continue to produce the funniest comedy shows the world has ever known. The future location may be brand new, but we will make it sure it still retains the classic Dangerfield look and feel. On hearing the news, Comedy Insider described the club to page six as historic. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay also recorded an album there. The Day the Laughter Died is the first Avenue venue in 1989. Uh, So, yeah, just absolutely, I mean, it just sickens me to know that the people who run that city don't give a shit about, well, they give a shit, but in a different way. But in my opinion, it's just flat. It's easier to say they don't give a fuck. They really don't. And whatever, you know, it's just another venue. Fine. They get paid. Nobody else does. You know, I'll keep trying, though, however I can. It just makes me, it makes me want to do more, and it makes me want to speak up more. But um, as far as the podcast goes, I can promise you this, that I'll continue to go by the guidelines that I've created for this podcast. I don't hide behind, I mean, no religion, no sports, no politics. I won't get political on this thing because that's a rabbit hole that will bury this fucking podcast. Or it will segment it away from uh, the 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 lines that I drew for it. Religion, I don't hide behind that. I maybe talk about it a little bit, but I don't, this isn't a religious, polit- a religious podcast. That's just a whole different avenue, you know? If you want to watch biblical series, you can go and look at Jordan Peterson's metaphors. That's uh, on YouTube. Just look up the biblical series. It's great. You can watch that shit. But, you know, I talk about some things you know, that are that are maybe are religious related or cult because some of it's culture related. Sports, I just don't give a shit about. I tell everybody, you know, they ask me, oh, why are you still wear? You're a Yankees fan. It's like I stopped watching sports after Jeter retired because I felt like at that point I was just rooting for fucking contracts. That's it. I was rooting for free agency. Or I'd see on the news every fucking week like somebody punched his girlfriend out or this person's crying about equity or racism or fucking toxic masculinity or that that purple-haired cunt from the soccer team is complaining about this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, I don't even want to... I'm like, I don't... None of this stuff impresses me. I don't care. I don't feel like I'm watching sports anymore. I feel like I'm watching something completely mutated and it just... I'm, I'm sickened by it. It makes me feel gross. So I, I'm like, that doesn't matter on this podcast. Scores and highlights and contract negotiations mean nothing to me. And it doesn't mean, it mean in this podcast, it doesn't mean anything to this podcast. None. You want to watch, I mean, I recommend the Dan Patrick show. You want to talk of sports? Go on there. Check out that, that DP show. That's the best way to go. Other than that, I don't give a shit about it. None. At all. To me, it matters just as little as politics. And you know what? The two are tied. So I don't care about it. It means nothing to me. And it, for the most part, should mean nothing to you because it's a time waster. And that's all these people do is fucking waste time. And and sadly, Dangerfield is out of time. I I wish it would come. I wish it was a different outcome. But sadly, uh... I'm doing more, trying to do more to not waste my time and create better content. And um, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, I don't know what else to say about it. But it's just, it, it's gone. It's freaking gone. But, I mean, RIP fucking Dangerfields and any other comedy club that's about to go down or has, has already gone down. I hope comedy survives. Uh, because if, it, if comedy doesn't survive, listen, heed these words. If comedy doesn't survive, we are doomed. We are in so much trouble you can't possibly understand. If comedy clubs become under scrutiny or closed down or we go back to the 60s and 70s where comics were being arrested for saying certain things on stage, we're fucked. Um, let me... I'm going to go ahead and get right to Q&A because all these other um, like the movie reviews... And like I watched the King of Staten Island, uh, that was good. Uh, Tax Collector, that wasn't so good. Um, and then I had something about some autom- um, some automotive stuff, and then Digital Trends had an article. But I'm just gonna go ahead and get right to Q and A because I just wanted to kind of open up and let it let myself vent about the death of Dangerfields because that was just just to see that randomly kind of it threw it throws you off. It threw me off, and it just reminds me 
why we take risks. Comedy clubs are, it's a risk. It's a risk to go out. It's First of all, it's a, a risk to go out after nine o'clock in a city, go sit down in a comedy club and listen to a comic talk. It's a risk for a comic to go out, get on a, get on a stage and put their heart out there and get booed or heckled or silenced. And that's their livelihood. Once you start down that path, a lot of, a lot of comics, it's like it's, they're hooked. They're hooked and they can't stop. But that drive is what makes some of them so great. So that it just I to hear about it, it sickens me because it's like I never got a chance to go there. I never will have a chance to go there. And it's a piece of history that's lost. So let's go ahead and segue to QA. We'll get out of here for today. You know, sometimes I just love the one thing I do love is just being as real as I can and making, trying to beat it into you how important some of these things truly are that you didn't understand were important to begin with. And some, a lot of you maybe not have realized how important some of these places are. Well, how much they actually matter. You know, you don't realize the chain reaction of how important these places are to certain things that you see, the certain things that you've seen, the certain things that you've heard, and the certain celebrities or comics or moments in time that you may not have realized they are that important all right so we're at 39 minutes let me do the oh once again the gentle segue of reaching over to q a dig dig q a uh dig.com q a if you want to support this podcast please support the podcast it's easy you can go to positive sarcasm.com slash donate or just go to positive sarcasm.com click on the contact section contact slash donate you can donate right there it'll tell you everything it tells you everything on just how you can support it you could support it for as little as a dollar any little bit helps so please like subscribe share donate tell a friend whatever so let's get right to the q a uh, how should I handle a coworker who falsely told all our colleagues I'm his wife? Last year, I left on a leave of absence for a few months to take, care, to take care of my elderly parents. Then I returned to work. Apparently during that time, one of my coworkers began telling people we were married. Not as in work wife, as in legally married. And everyone believed him. Honestly, I had no idea he had any feelings for me and I don't think he knew I would be coming back. I'm an introvert. I keep my personal life private and don't talk about much myself much. But the fact is I have a husband, not him, who I've been married to for 10 years. Congratulations. Not wanting to cause him embarrassment, I privately went to our boss, explained the situation behind closed doors, and asked for a department transfer, even though he's never sexually harassed me or made a move on me. I'm very uncomfortable being around him right now and don't want any contact with him. My boss agreed, said she would speak to him, and though she didn't have the authority to move me to another department, she would see to it that she that we wouldn't be put on a team together and kindly offered to adjust the schedule so he wouldn't be in an office at times when I was there. Uh, I've tried to handle this whole mess as discreetly as I can, but today I lost it. He walked into a break room while I was in there, and basically I basically yelled at him in front of everyone there, saying I'm not his wife and stop telling people we're married. I know this was not the most mature way to handle the situation, but I was at my wit's end. Uh, you did the... Look, it's not that you did the right thing. You didn't do the wrong thing. Somebody lied and told a mistruth about you at the workplace. And, I mean, to be perfectly honest, that's a giant HR issue. And I know I've talked about HR in the past. It's not a road you want to go down. But, yeah, it's a fireable offense. Lying about a, coll- lying about a coworker uh, is a fireable offense. You can... It is... Uh, it can bypass the it, that situation can bypass the warning, the final warning, and can go straight to termination. Absolutely, um, it's a form of it's a form of of office embarrass, uh, embarrassment. So yeah, he can absolutely be fired for that. And also the idea that you yelled at him, yeah, you lost it because you were told, um, because it is a form of indirect harassment in kind of a way. Maybe maybe not. I'll backtrack on that. But either way, yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to deal with. And it's also a fucking flat-out disrespect to your actual husband. Oh, I just had an idea in my head. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, it's, it's, it is. It's disrespectful to you. It's disrespectful to your husband. And I get it that you don't like to fucking talk. You know what? First of all, kudos to you for not wanting to talk about your personal life at work. Holy shit. Thank Christ there's one. Um, the, the fact that you yelled at him in front of everyone there, 
look, you got nothing to feel bad about. You were told that your schedules would be adjusted. You wouldn't see each other. The fact is you did. Shit popped off. Fuck him. Fuck. Well, not literally. You know, but I'm saying, like, yeah, you, you did what you did, and he fucking lied, so fuck him. I don't know what else to tell you. The, the guy, I don't know why he did it. I don't know what his explanation is, but it's a... How fucking retarded do you have to be? Oh, that's my wife. That is dumb. That's just a dumb thing to do. He's a dumb person for saying it. Let's hope you humbled the shit out of him. You shouldn't feel bad. I get that you popped off and, you know, it's like yelling at your dog. Sometimes you feel bad about it. But, you know, sometimes maybe it was for the dog's own good. But you still love the dog either way. Doesn't matter. You're not gonna you're not gonna wake up in the morning and smack the dog in the face. You you love the dog. You don't love this guy, but you feel bad, and understandably so. But you shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't dwell on it. This guy said something he shouldn't have, and I mean on another level. And God knows what else he said. So don't worry about it. You're you're fine. Let's move on to the next one. Oh. This one might get weird. Eh, they all get weird. Fuck it. What should I do after discovering that my mom was charged with murdering a child before I was born? While... Ooh. <laughs> okay, we're going deep. While researching my family, I discovered that my now elderly mother was charged with the murder of a toddler 40 years ago, before I was born. She was never convicted and never mentioned it. However, after reading her testimony and things she said after the incident, I have no doubt she is guilty. This has me reeling because she has always been a, a great and loving mother. When she heard I was researching our family, she mentioned that I would find something unsavory and asked me not to please look into it. Please not to look into it because it's in the past and she didn't want to tarnish my image of her. I don't know how, I don't know what, how to feel or what to do. Well, I think I'm obviously if you, it's her duty to explain what happened at least her side of the story i guess i mean that's what uh that's what the original uh responder states and i agree with that everybody has their own side of the story and if she wasn't convicted she wasn't convicted and you've heard testimony and all that other stuff well if you feel as guilty maybe the people who did the testimony would find she was guilty too but maybe that's not the case maybe maybe not i don't know and maybe the fact that she off that kid so long ago means that she had way more time and energy to put into you. And look how wonderful you turned out. Look how wonderful you turned out to be. So maybe it's for the better. Hey, I mean, Bill Cosby had a joke, you know, keep it up. Uh, you know, I brought you to this world. I'll take you out. And it doesn't matter to me. I'll make another one that looks just like you. Granted, he's in jail for the rest of his life for multiple rapes. But still, I mean, the point is still valid. I mean, she got rid of them. And made you, and then all the energy in the world was ready to take care of you. But what type of murder are we talking about here? I mean, I and I need more information. But I would first start with having her explain herself. And look, sometimes the most important thing to do when it comes to your parents is to humanize them. My mother's not perfect. My father wasn't perfect either. My family isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. I've done some crazy shit. Some of it, maybe not proud of it. Some of it, I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. But, you know, you learn. You learn and you move on. And some of it, you own up to it and you have to deal with it. But in this case, you have to, it's good to have your family humanized in your image so you can understand that everybody's not perfect. They make mistakes or they make choices. And sometimes we get away with shit. Sometimes we don't. But in this fact, it's good. Hear her side of the story, see what she has to say, and then make a decision for your own well-being. And if you don't want to talk to her anymore, all right, well, that's your choice. We're humans. We got to make our own decisions. Let's keep the party rolling, all right? How can I prevent the mafia from coming after my family to get the money my father-in-law owes them? Uh, I don't think you can. If it's the Cosa Nostra, um, you're done they're going to get the money one way or another. Uh, I'm writing because I think my father-in-law took a large loan from the mafia. I'm an American living abroad in Eastern Europe with my wife who's from here. We got married three years ago and I moved here permanently. I can understand quite a bit of the language, but I can't speak it very well yet. I get along with my wife's family. Her father was a condominium developer it's in the lead up to the 2008 crash. It made a quite, a bit of, quite a bit of money during that time. When the crisis hit, 
he lost his shirt. His business was insolvent, and he is broke. While they still live together, he and his wife got a divorce to protect their house by putting it in my mother-in-law's name. For the last 10 years, unbeknownst to us, he was still taking deposits on new units that currently sit half-finished. The people who paid him have organized and are taking legal action with charges pending. While whilst what's most worrying is that he took a large amount of money, likely more than $100,000 from a man who's involved in organized crime, and the majority of the debt is still outstanding. On a few occasions, men came to my, my in-law's house making subtle threats of violence. Other people we talked to told us the police don't even mess with this man, which fits because they were dismissive when my father-in-law went to them regarding the harassment. We only started learning about these transgressions a year ago, and all these predates all this predates meeting my wife. I never felt pressure to give any money, not that I have to give into the first place. The people who made the deposits know that I'm American and assume that I have millions of dollars to pay them, in which, of course, I don't. I do not care. I don't care that those people think this, but if this guy does, then he may come after me or my family. We live in a bigger city a few hours away, but it still would not be hard to find us. Leaving this country wouldn't matter because my wife's family would still be there. Um, well, look, the problem is, is wherever you go, the mob can find you. They're good at this. Believe me, they're good at this. They've had judges, cops, federal agents, community members, board members, co uh, politicians in their pockets for centuries. Okay? They can find just about anybody. There's nobody that's untouchable from the true uh, mob that you're referring to. Italian, Irish, Russian, uh, Chinese, which is I believe is the Yakuza. Is that Japanese? One of the two. Um, they can find you. And believe me, if they can't get stuff from him, they'll get it from you, whatever it is. And sometimes they don't, at that point, they don't even want the money. They just want to prove a point because they want it known that if you fucking run out on them and owe them money, they will make an example out of you. And then that's it. That's it. So you can't, I don't know, my opinion is as far as fleeing, I don't know if you can. And as far as the money goes, I don't know. Start investing or something. Make a deal with them or something to that nature or talk. To, you could. If you had the ability to financially get yourself out of this mess and understand the ramifications that he's in, you better rectify it. It's not a game. These guys don't fucking play games. They're, I mean, yeah. There's a great podcast, a great sit-down interview between Sammy the Bull Gravano and Patrick Bet David. Sammy the Bull Gravano was a hitman for the Italian mob. He worked for Gotti. This guy didn't give a sh didn't give a shit back then. He's more of a you know he's more of a family man now, but uh you know back then yeah he'll he'll murder whoever Gotti told him to. But they those guys are out there still out there, and they're in the darkness and they'll come for you, and they don't give a shit. And if they can't get the money from them, they'll get they'll take it in some other ways, like banks. Banks can't get their money. They'll take your house. And they'll take everything else attached to it. The mafia is no different. So figure it out and figure it out quick. Because they will. They'll destroy anything they can. And you cannot believe how deep their pockets go and how deep their influences go. All right, let's keep going. Uh, is there a polite way to ask my my loved ones to let me keep parts of their body after they die? I am, an, I am an unorthodox religious persuasion which holds the belief that the dead may be contacted and that there are various aids to this process. Anything tied to the dead person may be used, although the more intimately tied, the easier it is to establish the connection. The most intimate items, of course, would be segments of the deceased's own body. So to the question, is there any polite way to make clear to loved ones, to a loved one that you hope when they pass on to inherit some part of them? I have racked my brain on this one and even done some research, and I am failing to come up with anything. I suspect that if any rules apply, they would be the same that concern making it clear to a loved one that you hope to inherit any specific item, which is to say it is very rude to ask it all. All right, look, dude, let's just state the fact. You're a fucking weirdo, and there's no polite way to ask it, and look, you just can't. Just don't do it. First of all, what you're thinking is off the charts. 
It's not reasonable, and scientifically, I don't think it's possible. If there is the energy of per of a person after they die, that's one thing. But holding on to their fucking pointer finger or a piece of their ear is just not a reasonable request. And I don't know if you want that stuff hanging around after we're able to start cloning people's DNA and doing all that type of weird stuff. I'm not sure you're going to want that abomination if it comes back to life. I mean, let's face it. Do you want me around for another 80 years? Probably not. I think once I go, you want me to go. I don't think you want a reincarnation of me, you know, in 2122, uh, you know, barking. You know, you don't want the spare part studio. Once I go, it should go. I don't think it's something that should be passed on. When I go, it goes. Um, I think that this is you've got some weird f- fetish type of thing going on in that head of yours. And um I think it needs to be I, – I don't think it's a conversation that you should be having. Remember, when something comes – always understand, when something comes out of your mouth, uh, it your view, the viewpoint of your family and the people around you can – remember, it can be molded. Now, I just say shit all the time because, like, whatever. They, they understand that I'm a person who likes to go out there and bleh and just vomit stuff out because I'm looking for ideas. I'm just researching concepts. I'm trying to figure things out. I'm out here in the pursuit of truth and figuring things out. How am I going to know if I don't say it? Because I'm constantly learning and reading. This is a little different. This is you trying to hold on to head, shoulders, knees, and toes when people die. Nah, it doesn't work like that. doesn't work like that. So I think this is, it's not, it's not a uh, smart thing that you want to hold on to. Uh, do we want to close up shot? I don't want to do that one. That one's stupid. These fucking ones are way too long. Let's see. Let's just do this one. We'll close up shop with this last one. It's getting dark here in the studio, too. Forget, like, when I start these podcasts, it's nice and sunny out. And then when I start to close up shop, the, the I mean, I have studio, I have the lights on and everything like that. But, I mean, I usually put them on towards the end. But what should I do after a woman I dated confused me with someone else with my name who has allegedly committed felonies? My name is a variation of John Smith. I met a woman and she liked me, but then she did a cheapo background check on me and found a John Smith who committed felonies, including assaulting a high school principal. Maybe he deserved it and ended things with me. I am not that person and I am innocent of these crimes. She has every reason to trust me. We met at my house and she viewed the premises without incident. What to do? Uh, well, I guess you can send her an email and point to some references, but then you could be like, listen, I just want you to know that this is not me at all but I promise never to bother you again because I have to respect your wishes as a person who, well, let's face it, we're not, you know, that's going to always be in the back of your head and I respect that. But you can send her an email like, listen, I'm sorry you feel this way, but the fact is, is that's not me. Here are all the references. That isn't me. Da, 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 da. But you have to remember, we talked about this in a various different forms. This is done. It's over. You're never going to get this person back. You have to accept that, but leave on the right note. But you only do it once. You only do it once, and then you leave it alone. That's it. Because look, and you could be, you know, you could be sitting there at a at a red light, and a person sees you, or a friend sees you, and you're scratching your. It's like that Seinfeld episode where he was scratching his nose, but the girl he saw the night before thought he was picking his nose, and then she won't talk. They won't. She won't take his calls. What are you gonna do? There's not. There's, there's really nothing you can do. There's really nothing you can do at that point. It's a it's a viewpoint and a judgment call, and then that's the end of that. So, all right, we are at 56 minutes. We are done for today. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's listening, watching, and subscribing. And whew, I'm just I'm just glad I get to do this because uh, it allows me to really research a lot of different concepts and go and research new topics. And sometimes it's hard. You know, Sunday, last Sunday was a tough one to get through. I really struggled through that. I was tired. I was working on other things. I had other things on my brain. And it just, it, sometimes these podcasts don't come out the way I want them to, or they're not as bright and sunny as I'd want them to, or they're not as funny as I want them to, or some things just don't come out the way I want them to. And sometimes it's just the long pregnant pauses, you know, they eat up time in the podcast, not because I want them to, just because I'm trying to think of something else. But Believe me, this podcast means as much to me as a finished product that I put on my YouTube channel. It does. It means that much because it's just another avenue of content. And I I look forward to many more years of doing this with you guys. So uh, until then, you can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. You can find me. Uh, I do. And first of all, wait till fucking 2020. I mean, I'm definitely one way or another. When I get to that seacoast, I'm changing things up around here. 
and we're going to clean this fucking place up and it's going to be awesome. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. I've been off. I've been posting and ghosting. I haven't been really sitting there waiting for the comments. Uh, Facebook.com slash POS sarcasm. Facebook.com slash positive sarcasm. If you just want to be my friend, you can also go to TikTok at positive sarcasm, YouTube positive sarcasm and positive sarcasm podcast. Uh, I, and then of course you want to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, you know, uh, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, tune in podcast addict, PodPay, anywhere where podcasts are available. You can download stream and share. And of course you can download it and share and stream from my website, positive But until then, I want to thank you guys. We're getting into the winter months here. Uh, all the leaf peepers are, you know, showing up here lately too, but until then, thank you for listening, watching and subscribing. And I will talk to you all next week. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. This has been a positive sarcastic presentation.
Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate.